plan today is to uh, wrap up with Ezekiel, at least uh, I'll say an introduction to Ezekiel, because there's uh, much more that could be said than what has been said. Uh, but I'd like to, to kind of um, maybe just review a little bit from chapter 48 and then give a review of the entire book in a limited amount of time. And then um, I'd like to play an audio as well. I just want to make sure it's... Yeah, the power's to it. That's good. Um, and then uh, play, an, play an audio, give a brief introduction, and then uh, play the audio and then talk a little bit about it. Because uh, we have made, I, I have made uh, mention before of how Ezekiel, as well as some other books of the Bible, are greatly misused and misapplied, um, you know, to fit with certain theologies rather than the other way around, the theologies fitting with what the Scripture actually says. All right. So um, that, that's something uh, you, you may have heard of the term exegesis before. It's a word that's, uh, that's used especially with biblical studies. Exegesis is taking out of the text. Eisegesis is putting into the text kind of thing. Um, and uh, may, I, I might have mentioned this uh, in, in one of the studies, but there's a term that has been coined by a Lutheran pastor. I think it's a Luth he's a Lutheran pastor, but I think he was the one who kind of um, maybe, uh, how should I say, um, patented it, if I, if I dare say that, but Jesus, you put yourself into every text, basically, and that's what uh, many uh, popular preachers do today, uh, and not excluded from those who do that would be the uh, those uh, preachers and false teachers that interpret the Bible by means of what's going on in culture rather than, again, the other way around, interpreting culture by means of what the Bible says. Uh, I remember, by way of example, and I, I forget his name, but I remember going to a, a pastor's conference in Wisconsin a number of years ago on a big billboard sign. I think this was probably close to what, I want to say, maybe 2010, 2012-ish, somewhere around there, but there was a, a big billboard sign saying that the world was going to end December 12th. Yeah, December 12th. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And uh, the the funny thing is, I mean, I guess it's it's not really that funny, but but uh, this individual, I think he was, you know, in his he was probably in his 80s, and he he made a number of predictions before too that did not come to pass. You know, uh, but we'll we'll catch a glimpse of uh, of one of those. Um, speaking of uh, some current events from November, actually, um, which is kind of interesting. But he uses Ezekiel, and I'll, I'll kind of introduce that in just a, just a few moments. Uh, for now, turn to Ezekiel chapter 48. I think we talked about this, or we concluded maybe on this last time we met, which seems like ages ago. I don't know if it does for you, but for me it does. It was last year. It was last year. Really, it was last year. And, uh, yeah. But, but uh, essentially, I, I want you to look at verse 35. And I, I don't know, I, I guess they do this. Sometimes you'll, you'll see this in the lectionary readings. It'll say, like, verse, uh, you know, chapter 10, verse 34a or 34b, you know, to start. We're going to start with b. Um and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. And I'd like to read a, a, a few notes from, um, from these verses, or about these verses from the Lutheran Study Bible. The idealized promise land, promised land is the prophetic symbol of a place and time in which the type of worship described previously will be possible. So the, the previous chapters, or of the previous chapters. This is the era of the holy Christian church and of heaven. The place is the redeemed, restored community of saints gathered from every nation and race on the earth. The Lord is there, symbolizes what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. He has become your God. Through the forgiveness of sins, he dwells with you forever. God keeps his covenant. And that's, uh, you know, we, we've noticed that that has been a theme in Ezekiel, that God is faithful to every word that he says. 
And oftentimes we think, oh, well, of course God is faithful to every good word that he says, right? But he's also faithful to his warnings and admonitions, too. And we reflected on this from Deuteronomy and also Exodus, where God admonishes his people not to refuse his word, not to not believe him, uh, but to trust fully in his promises. And he also gave them warnings, too, and said, if you do this, if you begin to worship other gods and go to the gods and go the way of the surrounding nations, this is what I'm going to do. And we saw that playing out in Ezekiel, right? And yet God was faithful to his promise not only to judge and uh, to punish not only the surrounding nations, but also Israel for her idolatries, her adulteries, and, and the like. But God is also faithful to keeping that remnant alive and establishing a people for himself and bringing back the glory that he had removed from the temple. According to his promise, not because of the people. Okay, so that's another theme in the Old Testament too. When God speaks with the patriarchs, for example, you know, it's not because of their faithfulness that God is faithful. Now, to us as people, it might seem that way. Well, you know, if, if you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, you should be punished for it, right? Um, if you if you say you're going to do the work and you don't do the work, you shouldn't get paid, right? Um, and we understand that, but before God, yes, there is judgment, but where has that judgment ultimately taken place? In Christ Jesus, right? Um, on the way here, I was listening to a, a program, and they were talking about uh, the Old Testament book of Genesis, and of all things, the sacrifice of Isaac, or the near sacrifice of Isaac. And the speaker drew attention, who was a Lutheran pastor, of course, um, he drew attention to the fact that Isaac was to be sacrificed, and, and uh, mention was made of Katie Von Bora, who uh, in, in devotions, when Luther was reading this, she said, God would not do that. He would not sacrifice his own son. To which the Lutheran pastor responded, uh, you know, by saying that, that Luther had said, you don't know what you're talking about because that's exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. And, and really the emphasis of that text was, uh, um, as noted by this uh, Lutheran pastor, the sacrifice of Isaac that God commanded Abraham was, was about faith in the promise. You know, God calls me to sacrifice this son, and really the test was not, not of uh, uh, doing, but of believing. Because we, we noted that with reference to Hebrews and then also uh, chapter 4 of Romans, that, God, that Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. He makes alive that which is not. And, uh, and, and the like, so some, some good things there. I think, did we, we looked at this a little bit last time, right? I recall that? Okay. So, um, we were getting ready to, I don't think we did. Okay, in. all right. So you might not be able to see it here, um, but if you have a, a copy of last week's uh, handout, you might be able to see it a little bit better. But God himself is present. God is in his temple. Uh, that's the that's hymn that is often sung. Um, you know, especially when uh, Jesus appears in the temple. God is in his temple. Um, and that's exactly where, where Jesus is. Uh, but in what sense are we privileged to be there with him? Not by birthright. As universalists wrongly contend, you know what a universalist is? I thought that was somebody who believed that all men would be saved. Yeah, that all people would be saved. So, uh, you know, and, and this is... Uh, very much rampant in many Christian denominations. Well, it sounds good. Well, it does, and it's so nice, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, you know, that God is not going to judge or punish evildoers uh, for their sins. He's just going to let everybody in. And, and there is an understanding that some have that this is God's grace, but it's not. Uh, God's grace is always centered on Christ Jesus. You know, and, and you can't... Uh, 
uh, you know, the Bible teaches that there's only, of course, one way to heaven, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, in Him who died, the only begotten Son of God, who shed His blood, and through that shed blood we are cleansed of our sin. So not by birthright, as universalists wrongly contend, but by our second birth through clean water and a new spirit. Reference to Ezekiel 36 and John 3, 5. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. As we abide in his word, the triune God himself comes to abide with us. Only by constant renewal of our faith in Christ through his gifts, in the places where he has promised to let himself be found, in his word and at his altar, which is really his table, will we finally arrive in the city where Yahweh is there. All this means that we enter his temple preeminently in worship where he is spiritually and sacramentally present. And as the Jerusalem above descends upon the pilgrim city below, momentarily erasing the boundaries of space and time, we collectively participate in, but also empirically look forward to the day when the last enemy will have been destroyed. And we with all the saints in glory already will forever be there where Yahweh is. And then from Revelation 22, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Um, I was so in what a, does proleptically That's a good question. I would say, you know, I, I would leave out the word for electrically, and at least initially we participate in, but also empirically look forward to the day when the last enemy will have been destroyed. In other words, it's, it's kind of the now, not yet. You know, Christ's kingdom is where his word is preached, where his sacraments are given. And there uh, we rejoice in God's gifts, but we also look forward to the time where we will be uh, eternally with God in the heavenly realm, right? In heaven. So it's, it's kind of the now, not yet. Um, in our in our communion liturgy, um, you know, there's a place where I, I, it's a preface. And uh, note that where it said, with angels and dark angels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name. In other words, simultaneously, as they do that, so are we doing that. As we are doing that, so they are doing that. And, uh, you know, that, that's a, a cause for reflection, um, remembering the saints of God, you know, loved ones who have died. You know, say that, you can't help but think, hey, we're singing this song with them, and they with us, the praises of God. Um, you know, and, and then we have also in the liturgy the, the post-communion prayer, one of them anyway, and I think Divine Service 1 and 2, and maybe Divine Service 4 as well, you know, it speaks about a feast. You know, the feast of the foretaste, or the foretaste of the feast to come, right? And that's what we receive and celebrate in the Lord's Supper. You know, so it, 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 some, some would call it a preparing, but it's not only preparing because we're receiving the thing now, right? Um, and, and for Christians... It's not a matter of, uh, okay, I'm going to wait until the judgment to, for God to decide if I'm in heaven or not. The judgment has already taken place for the Christian who remains in the faith, right? It's already taken place because Jesus Christ already died on the cross. Your name, by God's grace and according to his mercy, is already in the book of life as you remain in the faith. That God himself gives and nourishes and establishes, sustains, preserves and edifies by means of the very gifts that he himself gives, right? Baptism, sacrament of the altar, supper. All right, I'd like to draw your attention. I, I don't have uh, what's next written, um, but I, I would like to, to read a few notes from Luther on Ezekiel as, as we uh, begin to, to wrap this study up. Um, and it, 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 it's kind of lengthy. But, uh, but I, I think there's some key points here. Um, he, he notes that the vision in the first part of Ezekiel, chapter 1, is nothing else than the revelation of the kingdom of Christ in faith here upon earth in all four corners of the whole world, as said in Psalm 19. He says, this is how I understand it. 
For no one can be a prophet, as St. Peter testifies, unless he have the Spirit of Christ. To put it briefly, this vision is the spiritual chariot of Christ in which he rides here in the world, meaning thereby his entire holy church. Then he notes uh, the vision from Ezekiel's uh, chapters 8 through 9 signify the end of the priesthood, the worship, and the church organization instituted and given them by Moses. For all of these were instituted only until Christ should come, as St. Paul says in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 3, as Christ himself says in Matthew 11, and as the epistle to the Hebrews says repeatedly. This prophecy contains two things. I'll try to sum this up. The first is that Israel and Judah shall return to their land after their captivity. This came to pass through King Cyrus and the Persians before the birth of Christ, at the time when the Jews returned to the land and to Jerusalem from all countries. So you might recall they were exiled into Babylon, but then under King Cyrus of Persia, they were able to come back. And the temple was rebuilt. Remember, that was under uh, Ezra, I believe, right? And then under Nehemiah, the walls were rebuilt of Jerusalem. All right? Um, and God had returned to, uh, to the temple. And in, a, um, in another way, at another time, I should say, God also returned to his temple, specifically the new temple, Jesus Christ. Remember, we looked at that, I think, a little bit last week from 1 John, or not 1 John, but John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, uh, this, the, the glory of God, that should remind you, or be reminding you, of the glory of God that entered into the tabernacle when it was raised, and then also with an S, not a Z, Right? Raised with a Z means torn down. Right? Raised with an S means lifted up. Right? Completed. And then also at the temple as well. Okay, continuing with uh, uh, continuing with Luther. The hope of the Jews, there shall yet be another physical return when all of them together shall come back into the land and set up again the old mosaic order of things. This is something they have dreamed up themselves. And this will come up in, in the audio that we'll be listening to a little bit anyway. Um, there, there are quite a few groups today that speak of, and you'll hear this even on uh, TV, um, I, I think on uh, the regular channels to some degree about Israel. And for many, for many Christians, there, Israel is a big deal. Uh, in terms of having the temple rebuilt. Have you heard that before? You know, especially with reference to prophecies, right? So, you know, when the temple was rebuilt, and I, I think, if I remember, um, in 2000, remember 1999, Y2K? Um, I, I remember hearing of, of, of quite a few groups that went to Israel waiting for the Lord to return, waiting for the temple to be Built because the belief is by some when the temple is rebuilt in Christ Jesus will come again um, but they seem to neglect those various other passages that speak about not knowing when the time will be right remember um, on the day of the ascension of our Lord when he ascended into heaven his disciples were looking up and the angels responded why are you looking up into heaven he's going to come back the same way and just before that Jesus was speaking with his disciples in Acts chapter 1, and they say to him, are you at this time going to, uh, you know, are, are you going to uh, um, rebuild Israel kind of thing? Um, come back in your glory, and, and, and Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons. You know, and at other times too, um, when Jesus talks about the, uh, the destruction of the temple and the uh, destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the disciples ask a question, when will this, these things be? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons or, or dates. In fact, you won't know, but rather as a thief in the night. Okay? Um, continuing, there is not a letter in the prophets or in Scripture which says or signifies anything of the kind that is that there will be a return to Mosaic order of things. We heard of that actually in uh, one of the earliest heresies or earliest challenges of the church we, we see this in, in Paul and his letters 
were the Judaizers. Peter encountered it too, of course. The, the Judaizers who were trying to usher back in the Mosaic Covenant uh, to uh, Gentile Christians, if you recall. Uh, the Gentiles were converting to Christianity and the Judaizers, the, the Pharisaic Christians, said they have to be circumcised in order to be the people of God. So Acts 15, sometimes referred to as the first synod, there uh, Peter and Paul and other pillars of the church uh, discussed this, you know, kind of debated with them and said, no, uh, this is putting something on the Gentiles that God has not given to be placed on the Gentiles. It's not that faith in Christ is not about uh, you keeping this, you doing that for salvation. It's about what God has done in Christ and, uh, and, and therefore trust in Him. And uh, you know, continuing the second thing and the best thing in this prophecy, according to Luther, is that God promises to create something new in the land. We saw that in the latter chapters of Ezekiel, of the book of Ezekiel, when God takes Ezekiel by way of vision to see this temple and he gives the measurements and, and shows him this and that. And, and uh, that God promises to create something new in the land to make a new covenant, unlike the old covenant of Moses that they dream about. This is plain from Jeremiah 31 and how many are, and from many more passages. No longer are there to be two kingdoms, but one kingdom. Under their kingdom, David, who is to come, and his shall be an everlasting kingdom, even in that same physical land. It's really interesting, too, that word kingdom, because how often, and this is a, a rhetorical question, by the way, because uh, I don't know the answer, but I know it's quite frequently, God re or Jesus re references the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven quite often. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus specifically says the kingdom of God is within you, right? According to his, the kingdom of God is within you, right? Um, it could also be translated among you, but where Jesus Christ is, there is his kingdom, right? The same kingdom that we pray about in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's just amazing. This, too, has been fulfilled says Luther, for when Christ came and found the people of both Israel and Judah gathered again out of all the lands, all lands, so that the country was full, he started something new. He established the promised new covenant. And, and then he speaks, of course, of Jesus Christ. You know, there is a history involved, of course, and we've, we've kind of looked at that in Ezekiel. And, uh, you know, so you'll note here, I don't know if there's really anything to highlight. You've seen this before. I've introduced it, but but recall the dates, 593 to 570, roughly. Ezekiel is also a contemporary of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the one who uh, foretold, uh, prophesied that Jerusalem and the temple were going to be destroyed. And of course, that's why, uh, you know, the book of Lam that's what the book of Lamentations is really about. You know, the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, which meant that God was not lo no longer with his people, or was no longer with his people. Uh, but God would be faithful to his promises. And you see various places there. Uh, we'll look on a map in just a moment. Um, and various people. We have Ezekiel. We have the exiles. We have the cherubim and other angels. Um, weird vision stuff going on. Um, elders of Judah, uh, kings, uh, David, uh, the prince, Pharaoh, Gog, uh, Magog, and, and the like. And the purpose, by way of summary, to explain why God's glory departed from Israel and how his glory would return. Notice God's glory did not return because the people changed. You know, um, you know there was, there was a, a uh, you know, the punishment was met and God's judgment was fulfilled. And of course, we see that fulfillment in Christ on the cross. And if you can see this, again, just a, a rough map. We have Jerusalem. So Israel is in this area here. Babylon is way over here, so over a thousand miles away. Um, I think uh, over this this last week, I, we drove probably over 1,500 miles. Um, but uh, but imagine not having a car and doing this. Took them a while to get there. Yeah, it did. It did. 
You know, even from uh, what Jerusalem to Bethlehem, I think is quite a bit. Um, where, where was it? Um, let's see. On the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem is about seven miles, so that's probably a day's a day's travel, day's right? Journey. Yeah, a day's journey. So they did a lot of walking um, at that time, but uh, you know, quite a distance. So uh, you know, uh, there's the the Kabar Canal, the Kabar River. So remember, uh, Ezekiel was in Babylon when the Lord gave him a vision of the exiles in Jerusalem, you know, and uh, and the temple and the like as well. So you can't really see that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but this is basically, uh, you know, we have the kingdoms of kingdom of Israel on the left. You might be able to see it better on your sheet or not. It's kind of small. Um, but on the left, you have the kingdom of Israel. On the left, you have the kingdom of Judah. Remember, that's divided. It used to be united. And we have a number of the prophets in the center. Elijah and Elisha. We have Obadiah and Joel. Uh, down at the bottom, we have Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, um, you know, as, as noted, Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Um, but we also have Daniel, who is in Babylon as well as his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, roughly around the same time that Ezekiel was prophesying to. You know, so, uh, so we have that going on. The fall of Jerusalem is in 586. Uh, a word about different dates. When it comes to dating the Old Testament, whenever you're doing any reading, uh, of, of the material concerning Old Testament, you'll find discrepancies. Not all of them are identical. They might be roughly the same in some areas. However, with the fall of Jerusalem 586, that's pretty sound, as well as uh, the earlier, the early, the, the fall of Israel. Uh, that's, I, I think that's fairly sound too, in terms of when, uh, when they were um, in exile under the Assyrians. But other than that, you know, you'll find a lot of discrepancy uh, based on the ideology of the, the editors of those works, where they're coming from. You know, some are very more conservative in terms of their dating. Some are more, quote, liberal theologically in their dating. And uh, it, it, it might not seem to be that big of a deal, but if you're a couple hundred years off, and uh, that, that could be a potential problem, an issue, because oftentimes liberal theologians, and I, I think most uh, quote biblical scholars today of the liberal bent uh, will speak of later dating simply because they would say things like, well, you know, uh, the scriptural texts were written after the fact. So this date of 586, you know, some would say, well, Ezekiel was written after the exile. Not before, well, and actually it, it probably was. Um, but in terms of the return, like Jeremiah speaks of uh, the return, you know, um, where he says, uh, I know the plans that I have for you, you know, from Jeremiah 29. He's talking about the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And, you know, some will say that Jeremiah wrote that actually after they returned and not before. So if you do that, if one follows that procedure, what happens is then you basically annihilate or eliminate prophecy. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, you, you say hindsight is always clearer, right? Um, which is true, um, but what if something was spoken years before and it came to pass? So like Isaiah 7, you know, Isaiah 7 verse 14, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Oh, well... Um, you know, maybe that was written after Jesus was born. You know, some might say that, you know, kind of thing, but that's kind of off the wall. Um, where we've been, uh, very simply, if, if, we, if we take basically three parts of the outline of, of Ezekiel, we have Ezekiel's call and judgment, we have oracles against other nations, and then we have uh, more words uh, from God through Ezekiel on Israel's restoration. So God left Israel, God left the temple, the glory of the Lord um, uh, went away, and 
then came back according to God's grace and mercy. Again, by way of review, law themes that we've talked about uh, for these last, I want to say a couple weeks, but I guess it's been a couple months, right? When did we start this study? Shortly after September. Okay, so we've been here for a few months, yes. right? All right. So death and God's wrath comes to Israel by the sword. God keeps his covenant. So law and gospel things going on. Uh, Israel is not, has not walked in God's statutes. He speaks of new hearts. Uh, by the way, new hearts that are given, not self-produced. God withdraws his glory. Uh, God restores the fortunes and his glory returns. The final month in exile, of course, and uh, the destruction of the temple. And uh, the new temple where the idolatries and adulteries would not take place. All right. Um, now, just to kind of give you some background, this is from uh, Issues Etc., or at least a clip. It's about six minutes long, give or take. And um, I mean, I think it's self-explanatory once you listen to it, but um, this uh, the pastor who is speaking is uh, Chris Roseborough. And I think he's in, is he in South Dakota? I think he's in one of the, the northwestern states, if I'm not mistaken. But he has this uh, program on issues, etc. It's called uh, something about pop Christianity. And the title of this, I, I, I don't have it here, but um, this week in pop Christianity, failed election prophecies. All right, there was a number, and, and maybe you didn't know this because I didn't know this, but apparently there were a lot of, uh, quite a few prophecies about how Trump was going to make a landslide. Trump was going to win and so on and so forth. And uh, they're talking about Pat Robertson. And actually quotes from Pat Robertson. So Pat Robertson, if you know him from the 700 Club, he's actually speaking. And the reason why I chose this is because I was listening to it and I came up with Ezekiel 38. I'd like you to turn to that, by the way. And he'll, he'll read it too, but I want to I wanted to, to look at it for ourselves before we actually get into it. <clears throat> Verses 14 to 16. And here's where we have uh, the words, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, great host, a great host, a mighty army. You will come against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, um, what I want you to, to listen for is how... Pat Robertson uses these words because I, I would, uh, um, you know, I would firmly say and adamantly say that he misuses this text to say what he wants to make it say rather than to derive from the text. So, um, you know, in verse uh, 15, many peoples, a great host, um, you know that there's a note here in the Lutheran Study Bible that says, after their defeat, their discarded weapons provided Israel with firewood for seven years. The corpses filled the valley. Um, let's see, and a few other things. Um, latter days in verse 16, the seven heathen nations denounced in chapters 25 to 32 did not prevent the rehabilitation of the Babylonian exiles in the Promised Land. Proceeding from this point of fulfilled prophecy, Ezekiel envisions the era when Israel is no longer the name of a nation, but the symbolic title of a spiritual fellowship open to all races and peoples. In these latter days of the messianic age, demonic attempts will indeed be made to destroy the kingdom of the Prince of Peace, which is not of this world and therefore seems to be an easy prey for its enemies. Now, how does that, how does that uh, correspond, if it does, with uh, what what we'll hear Pat Robertson will say. He's not going to talk about the messianic reign. He's not going to talk about any of those things. He will talk about 
uh, you know, some uh, supposedly earthly fulfillment of this prophecy from Ezekiel 38. But if nothing else, we can say um, from verse 16, I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. Um, in other words, um, you know, God will make himself known. And how does God make himself known? Of course, you know, by means of his word, by means of his son. In the meantime, we're talking about election prophecies for charismatic leaders. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. So what's next in the line of prophecies from these charismatic leaders, Chris? Well, very famous person uh, from the 700 Club, Pat Robertson, and uh, this is his claim that what God told him would be happening this year regarding the election and what the post-election United States would look like. Well, here goes. I want to share with you. I was praying on Sunday saying, God, please tell me how it's going to happen, and I hope I've got the word. But first of all, I want to say without question, Trump is going to win the election. Uh, and uh, that doesn't mean you sit home and don't vote. That, that, that means you get out and do everything you can to work. But he's going to win. That's, I think, a given. And, but after he is sworn in and his vice president is Mike Pence, then trouble is going to happen. He's going to be challenged by the Chinese, as you couldn't believe, will be faced probably with some kind of a war. The North Koreans are going to have nuclear weapons. They're going to threaten us. Uh, the Russians are going to do everything they can. Uh, <clears throat> the Turks have got their things going. And after Trump is sworn in, we're going to see civic disobedience in our America that will just be mind-boggling. The, the country will be torn apart. But you talk about Trump derangement syndrome, it's going to be horrible. Because already, without anything happening, we've got trouble in the streets. But there will be at least two attempts on the president's life. Uh, and it's going to be very difficult. So I would just urge you, if you, you should pray for him. But now, in the process, in the process, that this confusion is happening in America, and it looks like our country is being torn apart, the fulfillment will take place of Ezekiel 38's prophecy. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, this is what the sovereign Lord says, in that day when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? And you will come from your place to the far north and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You'll advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In days to come, God, I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Now, that's going to be next. You're going to have Trump win. You're going to have civic discourse. You're going to have at least two attempts on the life of the presence. And, you know, you just pray as to what's going to happen in relation to that. But this, this country is going to be torn apart. And it will be the opportunity for Erdogan and uh, Iran to come together against Israel. And that's what Ezekiel says is going to happen. That there's going to be this tremendous horde. Okay, Chris, take that. There's a lot there to digest. Take that one apart for us. So um, Robertson is claiming not only will Trump win, but after his inauguration that uh, the turmoil in the United States would hit a boiling point. There would be two assassination attempts against Trump and that basically uh, you know, two major countries of the Middle East would uh, uh, you know, attack or invade the, uh, the nation of Israel. And he's claiming that this is all coming directly from God himself. So that's his particular prophecy. And I'll, I'll note that his is a little bit unique in that sense as far as all the follow-up detail. Uh, but where, where he is singing uh, the same song as the choir, you know, the prophetic echo chamber, is that uh, they, they claim that Trump is going to win the election. This is pretty specific. Two assassination attempts. North Korea, he even kind of outlined the, the plan, the North Koreans and the Russians are going to threaten nuclear war, and then he, of course, had to have Israel in there being threatened by its current enemies, Iran and some other countries. 
Why is Israel always in the mix for these end times prophecies? Uh, the reason being is because in the dispensational eschatological view, the focus of God's grace and mercy and salvation, once the church is raptured, you know, when Jesus secretly returns and snatches the church up to heaven, that the focus is going to be on the nation state of Israel and those who are genetically Jewish. And they are going to be the major players as far as Christianity is concerned and belief in Christ in the what's called the seven-year tribulation. And so basically what Pat Robertson is doing is, is claiming that uh, in, the, in the days ahead, immediately after the inauguration of Trump in his second term, we're, we're going to see the unfolding of world events that are going to take us to the brink or all the way up to the, uh, the seven-year tribulation. Okay, so just to kind of play out his scenario, if Trump doesn't win a second term, then according to his prophecy there, does it all just kind of get put off? Or does he say, well, okay, that was all contingent on Trump getting reelected? So charismatics have this funny way of coming up with excuses that seem valid but are invalid when it comes to why they got it wrong. Over and again, they'll say it's a mistake. They'll say in the New Testament uh, that the New Testament prophets are not held to the same standard as the Old Testament prophets, that maybe they heard their flesh and their own desires as opposed to hearing the actual voice of God. Or in some cases, they'll say, well, God said he would do these things, but this was contingent upon the church or people doing particular things. They always like to kind of backwards load those. So, uh, you know, over and again, these are these are all excuses. But scripture is very clear in Deuteronomy 18 that if somebody says something is going to happen and it doesn't, that's the word that God has not spoken. And they are a false prophet. And in the Old Testament, false prophets suffered the death penalty for their error. In the New Testament era, they should be excommunicated. But you get the idea. Thoughts, reactions? How much uh, did, did you catch how much or how little Pat Robertson actually referenced Ezekiel 38? He read it. He didn't really explain it, though, did he? Yeah, he did. And in in I've heard it several times this last month. He did explain it. And that's just a little tiny portion of what, what was said. And it really made sense at the time. Okay, so I wish I would have written down a bunch of notes. Okay. Yeah. At least here, you know, he kind of leaves you hanging. You know. Yeah, but it, he made it. But, he, he made it pretty clear. He did. Yeah. Because I got my Bible out and I went along with it. So. Did do you, do you remember him saying anything about uh, Christ or the end of the age with reference to that? He said we all need to be praying because because Christ will probably it's gonna. We need to be ready. Okay, ready for Christ's return. Because uh, you know Pat Robertson, I, I think is uh, you know is, he's he's one that believes in something called the dispensation, or he's a dispensationalist, to my understanding. In other words, uh, you know we, we spoke of this with reference to amillennialism, postmillennialism, or there's a big word, premillennialism, premillennialism. Um, and post and, and pre, pre is before. So the belief there is that Christ is going to come, I think, before the thousand-year reign. And then the post is going to be Christ is going to come after the thousand-year reign, so to speak. Um, and, you know, many, you know, like Pat Robertson and others, will use the Bible to try to support themselves. But as mentioned, one of the... One of the uh, you know, the, the modus operandi that they use is they, they translate figuratively what should be translated literally, and they translate literally what should be translated, translated figuratively or interpreted as such. So, in other words, they would say the thousand years mentioned in uh, Revelation, for example, or the 144,000 that are referenced in Revelation 7 should be taken literally, not figuratively. I think we all need to believe as Abraham did when he took his son up that that God would provide and God does provide. We just need to trust God because we don't have to. Yeah. I mean, you can say one thing and somebody else can but it's all up to God. We just need to trust right. him. 
Well, and, and that's uh, you know that that's one of the issues though too because you know when what, what what's fascinating to me is that for those who who hold those pre and post millennialist positions and dispensationalist positions, they do not take the scripture as it's given, referencing and focused as it is on Christ Jesus. You know, you'll you'll notice they they too speak of Christ, um, but more room is given to the end times and preparing for the end times that you know but when it comes to being prepared for the end times it's not about looking for this sign that sign but rather you know as, as mentioned trusting in the word of Christ trusting in Christ knowing that your sins are fully forgiven in him independent of the circumstances which we find ourselves in uh, you know, he, he noted, uh, and, and they commented on this very specifically, Pat Robertson made these predictions. Now, if there are no, um, for example, you know, and reference was made to Deuteronomy 18, if, uh, let's say, Korea does not have nuclear weapons and there are no um, assassination attempts at all, what does that say about Pat Robertson's prophecies? They're false. Right, um, and you know we, we kind of get this idea that false prophets are kind of just in the Old Testament. Uh, they're alive and well today too. You know we don't use Scripture to say what we want it to say. We use Scripture to read from it what God Himself has revealed. Yeah. What was the date of this program? Do you know? It says like eleven thirteen on the bottom. Voice behind. Eleven thirteen twenty twenty. Good eyes. I know. At least the guys were good. <laughs> so, but yeah, this was November. So we, uh, November was it November second or no fifth, right? Was the election day. Uh, you know, but but you know, with, with this account, many who are prophesying. So I mean, you know, you, you look at these specific prophecies that he gave. Um, he says, I mean, thus says the Lord. Essentially, that's what he's saying. But nowhere is that given in Scripture. And, and that's the issue. You know, and, and Gog and Magog and, and, you know, verse 38, more work needs to be done on that. Um, but you can't just look at a passage and say, oh, that's that's specifically what's going on today or I'm going to prophesy, you know, and, and make a prediction based on this passage about what will be. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's something else going on there than, than taking from the text what it actually says. Calvin has been prophesying that we were in, we are in our last times. I know of for 60 years. Yeah. And I don't know how far before that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean it, it is true and, that we need to be that we are to be ready that we're in the last time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Bible clearly warns us against that of, of trying to say when or where. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it really kind of begs the question, I mean, is the Bible a book about current events? Well, yes and no. It depends what you mean, right? You know, so, I mean, when we speak about the end times, I mean, I remember, you know, from the time that I was growing up, too, you know, you know, each day is, is to be lived as if it's your last, you know, kind of thing. In, in other words, be ready for the Lord's return because you don't know when he's coming. Coming from me, pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and see, I mean, here's 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 the danger. Here's the danger. If, if one is looking only for signs like wars, rumors of wars, and certainly they're there. Um, They've been there all my life. Right. Um, but uh, oh, this new thing that's going on here or there. You know, where are you looking for your comfort? For your you know for for your direction. Of, of what is coming. You, do you look to the signs or do you look to the word? You know, and, and some would say, well, there's very little difference. I would say that there is a big difference. Uh, because what if, you know, we, we don't experience those things? You know, uh, and the like. Where, where, again, should our gaze be toward? Right? So I, I'm thinking of uh, Hebrews, I think it's chapter 12. You know, uh, 
you know, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let, our fix, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and that's, that, that is a litmus test for, um, you know, preachers like Pat Robertson, Joel Osteen, um, like Brian Furtick is another one, um, and many others, um, you know, who, who want to draw our attention, you know, to the end times. Where do they draw our attention? Is it to the end times or is it to Christ who forgives us our sins and through whom we have confidence, come what may? You know, and surety that our names are in the book of life, not because of the signs, but because of the sign of Jesus dying, having died on the cross to save us from our sins. You know, um, what does it mean to be ready to have faith in Jesus? You know, not in prophecies, but faith in his word. You know, not in what might come, but what will come according to his promise. And that's where we that's where we uh, rest rest our hats, so to speak, and, and trust and, and remain in the Lord. Um, so, so Jesus says, he who loves me will keep my word. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of debate uh, that, that can certainly go on. And that does go on between, uh, between and among Christians from different backgrounds based on what the text actually says. Um, but it's important to note that we're speaking also about what the text actually says and not what it doesn't say. All right, so um, uh, I'm surprised Pat Robertson still has a following. If you look at the things that he's done over the years, he ran for president yeah. uh, some years ago. He was soundly defeated. Yeah. And I'm surprised that he didn't lose his following over that. But yeah. it's real common for him to pull something out of the Bible read it, and then start talking about something entirely different, claiming the Bible proves what he's talking about. It's just not yeah. even related. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, be thinking about uh, during the week. Um, it's not, uh, you know, I encourage you, like, even after the service, if you, if you um, are considering, uh, you know, any particular topics for study, uh, because this will conclude Ezekiel for us. There's much more that can be said, of course study, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll begin a new study next week. So uh, so please, uh, if you have any thoughts or suggestions or ideas, interests, uh, please let me know. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll certainly consider them. Let's, uh, let's close with prayer as we prepare for uh, divine service. We pray. Lord, you are faithful. Your mercy grants us eternal life through the blood of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on him according to your word. For in that word, you reveal Jesus Christ to be our Savior from sin, death, and hell. And in him, through faith in him, we are prepared, we are ready for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who returns for our redemption. Grant us such faith and confidence that we rest totally in what you say and in what you say.